0: Our scripture lesson for this Sunday and Lynn is from John chapter 19. I originally was going to read only verse 30, but I want to read now through verse 37. John chapter 19, beginning with verse 30. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because that Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified, so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of scripture says, they will look on the one whom they have pierced. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thinking about the road to Lent, the long and winding road, reminded me of something that a native of Coweta County said years ago, Louis Grizzard. He was talking about all the road construction around Atlanta that seems to go on forever back then and even now. And he said at one time there was a set of plans for how all these roads were to work out. But, he said, the plans got lost and people kept coming to work anyway. The long and winding (laughs) Lenten Road. Sometimes I wish there were some plans. Plans to straighten this road. Plans to widen this road. Plans to pave this road. The dust stirred up by weary feet makes... Sight and breathing difficult, but not to despair, the journey is drawing to a close, two more mile markers, and then we'll be in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, some folks say, woohoo, I can't wait, and others say, oh my, Jerusalem. Remember, we're not just taking a casual stroll, there's too much at stake, and we're not running because we might miss something along the way. A deliberate walk is best. Stringing to gather some words as only she can, the poet Anne Weems described the walk like this. She said, the way to Jerusalem looks suspiciously like Highway 40, and the pilgrims look suspiciously like you and me. I expected the road to Jerusalem to be crowded with holy people, Clerics and saints, people who have kindness wrinkled in their faces and comfort lingering in their voices. But this is more like rush hour. Horns blowing, people pushing, voices cursing. This is not what I envisioned. Oh God, I've only begun and already I feel like I've lost my way. Surely this is not the road and surely these are not the people to travel with me. This Lenten journey calls for a holy retreat, for reflection, for repentance. Instead of holiness, the highway is crammed with a... Is there no back road to Jerusalem? No quiet paths where angels tend to weary travelers? No sanctuary from the noise of the world? Just this? Can this hectic highway be the highway to heaven? We passed the first mile marker on Ash Wednesday, the first word or first phrase of Jesus from the cross. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. When all is said and done, them are us. That's who we are this day, a portion of the pardoned. The second mile marker we passed on the first Sunday in Lent Today you will be with me in paradise. The thieves, they're called criminals or thieves. More than likely, they were zealots. They were revolutionaries. They had to steal to afford their way of life. And they were focused on the overthrow of the oppressor Rome. And this is what happened to those rebels in that day. And the thieves were hanging there. And Jesus said... You'll be with me in paradise. The third mile marker that we passed. Woman, here's your son. Here's your mother. The beloved disciple, probably the apostle John, became a blood relative of Jesus that day. And that same option is open to all of us to become sisters and brothers, kinfolks of the Christ. The fourth mile marker we passed is the one most travelers have problems getting past. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was Jesus simply reciting a passage of scripture, Psalm 22 in this case, a psalm that, that does end right, or was he actually abandoned? And I believe that he may have been abandoned for those horrible moments because of the separation that sin is. Abandoned, forsaken, so that we would never have to be. Something for us to remember in days of disease and difficulty that God will never leave us. The fifth mile marker we passed was our thirst. I thirst, and they offered Jesus, what, sour wine, vinegar? Was there no one to offer a cup of cold water? Maybe there are more opportunities right now than we ever dreamed of to offer a cup of cold water. Maybe we cannot physically place it in someone's hand, but there are ways and there are means to offer cold water to those who are thirsty, to those who have difficulty catching a breath. And if you'll glance to your right now, you'll notice that we are passing the sixth mile marker. It is finished. There's only one more mile marker after this, and then we're in the Holy City. I will identify that final mile marker for us next Sunday, Palm Sunday. But for this day, we need to slow down and consider my marker number six. It is finished. Sometimes we say those words with a huge sigh of relief. The moment has come to turn in the paper that we've been working on all semester. And we anticipate a good grade. I recall the term paper that I wrote for an American history course in college. I got a bit carried away. I failed to call or set aside any of my research and it ended up being 45 pages. And when the professor asked us to pass our papers to the front of the room, I handed mine to the guy in front of me and he said, well, never mind everything that he said, but he said, he's not going to way into the mind of our Lord. As he hung on the cross. Or maybe not just the last three years of his ministry. Maybe the 33 years of his life. We believe was correct. Or perhaps even back to his pre-existence in glory. Before he was incarnate. I wonder what he was thinking about. What was passing through the mind of our Savior in his dying moments. Or was the pain so unfathomable that he wasn't able to, to think of much of, of anything. Pain that precluded rational thought. Pain beyond description of even the movie maker or the novelist. Was Jesus remembering childhood days in Nazareth? Days that had under the watchful eyes of Mother Mary and, and Father Joseph? Did his teenage years of growth, along with his years of early adulthood, could he still feel the waters of baptism dripping down his face? Could he still hear the voice of his father in heaven? Here's my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then there was the temptation story, driven into the wilderness Round and round and round he went with Satan, with the tempter, with the forces of evil. And the choices he made in the wilderness put his feet on this Lenten road, this dusty long road to the cross. It could have gone very differently. And then the brief but also important years of ministry in this world was Jesus remembering All the folk who had been healed. All those who now could walk and talk and hear and enjoy their life. Was he remembering all of that? Was he remembering those folk that he had given a second chance? To feel the sunshine on their face and the wind at their back. And to feel and recall the embrace of one that they loved dearly. Was he remembering the dad who lived again? And the spiritually dead who had been forgiven? A burden lifted off of their shoulders. The doors to their cells flung wide open. Was Jesus remembering the, wow, I get it, looks on the faces of so many people who heard him preach and teach and knew that there was a better way? Was Jesus remembering those who were put down and downcast and cast out because of who they were and where they were born and where they lived and all those other things that we use to judge and classify people. Folks who have now been picked up and lifted up and drawn into the kingdom of God. Nobody's transferred and transformed into somebody's by not just anybody. As he inhaled a scent of perfume. Dying on the cross. Was he remembering a broken woman? Maybe not remembering a penny or apostle who said this money could have been saved. Was he remembering as he inhaled the perfume a broken woman who had anointed his body for burial? And now with his dying breath, he said, It is finished. What might Jesus have put together? What might he have pulled off given just a little more time? How many folks still needed to hear, to see, to be touched, to be defended, to be redeemed? Were any of these questions racing through his mind, tugging on his heart as the end drew near? It is finished. Were they words of rejoicing? Were they words of great sorrow? Hanging on the cross. Just like the the zealots, the criminals on either side of him. Hanging on the cross. Was Jesus perceived by those who passed by as a winner? Or a loser? According to Gail O'Day. She's a New Testament scholar. She said, Jesus' death is not a moment of defeat or despair. But a moment of confidence in his completion of God's work in this world. Jesus' death... On the cross is the final expression of his love for his own and his love for God. Jesus' death itself is narrated with dignity and restraint. The poignancy of the moment is conveyed by the simple notation that he bowed his head. Another scholar of an earlier generation than Gallo Day had this to say The gospel brings us face to face with the triumph of Jesus. When we compare the four Gospels, we find a most illuminating thing. The other three Gospels do not tell us that Jesus said, It is finished. But they do tell us that he died with a great shout, a great cry upon his lips. On the other hand, John does not speak of the great cry, but does say that Jesus' last words were, It is finished. And the explanation is that the great shout and the words that is finished are one and the same thing. Maybe they just didn't need to be repeated by this gospel. He did not say it is finished in weary defeat. He said it is one who shouts for joy because the victory is won he's to be broken on the cross. How much more broken could a person be? But he knew that his victory was won. Anne Weems put it very succinctly. She said, the pilgrims sit on the steps of death, undanced, the music ends. Only the children remember that tomorrow's stars are not yet out. It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up. Or some translations of scripture read, He gave up the ghost. If we had been there on that fateful day, if we had been one of those folks who were, were passing by that cross, observing this momentous, gruesome spectacle, would we have chalked it up as a win or a loss? Were the forces of evil to be awarded the championship trophy, the Lombardi trophy, or was God still in control? It is finished. And earth and heaven responded in unison. It is finished. And the Lord God of heaven and earth echoed their reply. It is finished. But it ain't over. Amen.